COVID has actually given us lots of opportunities to really rethink what we do and what are those sort of critical and important foundational pieces of work, whether it's service delivery, whether it's orienting and supporting staff. Uh, it has actually given us license to be creative and to cut out the noise and chatter, I guess, you know, that often goes around with face-to-face um, -face, uh, interactions and service delivery and be much more targeted and focused. My name's Francis Lynch. Thanks for joining me on the Comments and Musings podcast. Today, I speak to Margaret Augurinus, the CEO at the Centre for Nonviolence, who has worked in leadership in the family violence area for many years. Margaret has led CNV through some major changes in 2020, starting new services, advertising their services in the mainstream media when referrals significantly dropped, and keeping all their staff connected and engaged during two lockdowns. Join me for this conversation with Margaret. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for joining me on the Comments and Musings podcast. I'm talking to leaders from a range of organisations in the community, health and aged care sectors about how they've adapted to the impacts of COVID-19 in 2020. Uh, we're recording this in September, so we're a few months in and, you know, lots of changes have been made around us and in our organisations. Can I start off just by uh, asking you if you can tell us about what uh, the Centre for Nonviolence does and, and where, where you're at? Sure. Thanks, Francis. And thank you for inviting me today. Um, look, the Centre for Nonviolence is the Family Violence Crisis Response Service that works across the Loddon region of Victoria. So it covers uh, six local government areas from Gisborne in the south up to Echuca, across to, you know, Kyabram um, and over sort of uh, over as far west as Bort, I'd say, would be the edge of our um, border. So it's a really large and diverse area that we work in. Um, we do provide all of the uh, services, crisis response and therapeutic recovery services for victim survivors of family violence, as well as uh, programs for men who use violence towards family members and a range of community engagement and violence prevention programs um, across the community as well. So it's a fairly broad service and uh, certainly uh, extremely busy in, in most sort of understanding of how busy services get. It is a uh, constant demand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm wondering how COVID-19 has impacted your organisation this year. Look, with, as with most organisations, the impacts have been really, really significant. Obviously, you know, just the impacts on individuals in our organisation and how we've all had to change and, and adapt how we work and, and, uh, and how we manage our lives personally. So those sorts of impacts really have been quite significant. But in terms of our services and programs, we've had to do a really uh, radical shift in thinking about how we deliver, how do you deliver a crisis response service uh, to community members where the risk of community transmission regarding COVID is so significant and real and, you know, balancing uh, the need to deliver really responsive, appropriate services to vulnerable community members whilst preserving, protecting, maintaining people's safety, uh, including community members and that of our staff. So, it's been a real a real challenge, and I think the the challenges remain because uh, even if we get into a COVID normal, whatever that looks like, there is still ongoing risks and the need to constantly 
um, shift how we do things and respond to the to the events as they're emerging and developing. And um, that sort of rapid fire uh, response and, and realigning of services uh, just takes so much critical energy and thinking mm -hmm. and, um, and, and how we're dealing with COVID now and responding and thinking about our service responses uh, is different to what it was back in March at the at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and you know, being in Victoria, gone through two lockdowns, but I know, you know, from my own personal understanding, I know that you've also been going through growth of services during this time too. So you've been out there, the mm. Orange Door services are starting this year. There's a lot of, of new development. So you've, you've at the same time having to redesign your whole organisation at the same time as, as taking on new services. That, that challenge has been significant. I'll just interrupt the flow here since I mentioned the Orange Door. This is a service model that is being rolled out in Victoria as part of the Victorian Government's response to the Royal Commission into Family Violence. It strengthens support for children and families by bringing the intake and assessment functions for family violence and child wellbeing into the same working environment. The Loddon Region Orange Door that the Centre for Nonviolence is a part of will open in October 2020. Now back to Margaret. Absolutely, and we've had uh, yeah we've had a lot of um, uh, new developments that that have uh, that were in play just as COVID struck, and certainly um, you know the launch of the Orange Door is one of those um, you know later in October. But we do have uh, you know we've had a new therapeutic program that we were trying to recruit to and establish, and that required. Um, significant uh, recruitment efforts. The Orange Door, you know, we've, we're seeing about another 18 positions that we've been recruiting to. So the challenge of how we recruit, support and orient people uh, into agency culture, values, uh, functioning, just, you know, feeling a sense of belonging, like who do they belong to, mm -hmm. has been yep. incredibly challenging. And, um, and to do that all online and for people to start working for CNV, who have never ever they've never been in the building they've never met us <laughs> um, it is an incredibly difficult um, time but i have to say you know it's really forced us to be very creative and also to really think about what are the critical things that we need to do uh, to help orient and support people coming into the organization you know what are those what are those key sort of messages and if we have to sort of distill it down what are the, what are those sort of important bits and we've actually done a really fantastic job I have to say uh, to developing a completely online orientation program for our staff for our new staff and uh, the feedback we've got um, is uh, really incredible and people saying that even with that overlay of COVID and everything having to be online uh, the depth and mm. quality of the induction yeah. and orientation has has just been incredible and they've never experienced that. So COVID has actually given us lots of opportunities to really rethink what we do and what are those sort of critical and important foundational pieces of work, whether it's service delivery, whether it's orienting and supporting staff. Uh, it has actually given us license to be creative and to cut out the noise and chatter, I guess, you know, that often goes around with face-to-face um, -face, uh, interactions and service delivery and be much more targeted and focused. So there's been lots of organisational change and, and you know, development and, and learning, I suppose. Do you, tell me, how do you think that the impact of COVID-19 has been on the people who need to use your services or are seeking to use your services? What, what are you seeing? Look, we initially saw um, a significant downturn in 
women reaching out for services and also men reaching out for, uh, for support. And that really concerned us, but it was also something uh, we were aware of, um, given some of the international trends and experience that we'd heard, uh, particularly from colleagues in Japan um, who had gone through some of the COVID, um, okay. you know, I guess, you know, the first wave hit uh, some of the uh, countries overseas, Europe, Asia, um, a lot earlier than it did Australia. And so we had heard that um, there were less... Um, calls to services that crisis hotlines were experiencing a downturn in traffic so we did predict that that would happen um, and it did and uh, one of the things obviously and and it I guess it happened for a range of reasons you know people didn't know whether they could leave home they were also trying to manage um, their own lives the reality of you know children being sent home from school or work was drying up or whatever was happening so there was a lot happening in people's lives that might have made um, it's difficult for them to even be thinking about reaching out for support. But we did yeah. notice um, some weeks into April um, that the calls were really quite low and we were getting quite concerned. And um, for the women that we were able to, to reach, some of the existing clients we were working with, they were starting to tell us um, uh, stories and, and experience of um, coercive control increasing by their partners or ex-partners. Uh, we were hearing yeah. that... Um, you know, men were using uh, coercive tactics as they always have, but they were using different tools and techniques. So suddenly it was around, you can't leave the house because you might get COVID, you know, or um, or I've got COVID and I'm going to give it to you if you don't do, you know, what I tell you to do. So there were some really um, concerning trends, I guess, that we were seeing. And for women being stuck in homes, not being able to reach out, uh, was a considerable um, a concern for us. So we had to think creatively around how do we reach yeah. those women? Um, and, uh, you know, so that we had things like staff members were going out at night and writing on um, public pathways, you know, um, you know, feeling unsafe, you know, whatever, call CNV or call the police. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah, we started doing... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we started um, ramping up social media campaigns. We paid for radio and TV advertisements. And uh, within about 10 days of that uh, campaign, the You Are Not Alone campaign starting, yeah. we started to see a doubling and tripling of phone calls um, and requests and, oh, wow. uh, and also through other services as well. So I think, I think there was confusion about whether services were open as well and uh, i think the campaign really did help to um uh, to raise awareness that the our service was open even if the front door wasn't open that we were there we were able to support uh people and um and so we had you know we did start to see an increase in um uh, in service uh, contact which was which was pleasing but the one thing, of course, that does concern us is that women were telling us that telephone work, for some women works, and, and a lot of our work has been telephone-based in the past because of yeah. the region, the size of the region, but for some women, um, they were really concerned about talking to people that they'd never seen, um, not having any relationship or connection with the service, so for some new clients that had been referred yeah. in. And that's been really difficult and I think uh, will remain a challenge as we move, as, as we go forward. Oh, look, I can understand that entirely. Uh, uh, just to go back to the advertising campaign you did, um, mm. I, I'm wondering whether that felt like 
uh, a risk and whether the return was what you expected or whether there was more than you expected? Um, look, I guess there's always um, one of the things that we know is that when we advertise um, anything around family violence response, and particularly when you consider the gendered nature of family violence, that um, a lot of the messages are really around women and children um, as the primary uh, victim survivors in these contexts and men being uh, the predominant uh, perpetrators of, of family violence. Um, it does open up our organisations to considerable risk from um, men's rights activists and others who start to use that as an opportunity to talk about men's experience and you know and whilst we are always um, mindful and open and understand that men are also victims of violence in a whole lot of contexts uh, when we're talking about family violence you know it's very hard to ignore the data but even so running anything in a very public way um, always brings that out of the woodwork. So we were concerned a little about what that would mean. But I guess um, when we saw uh, the requests for service um, plummet, <laughs> you know, we had mm, to balance yeah. um, that risk yeah. uh, com compared to um, the fact that um, it may reach uh, w women um, who, and community members who we hadn't previously had contact with. And that actually did happen. The number of phone calls that came in from people who'd never contacted CNV from other family and community members seeking support and assistance uh, for for people that they knew, you know, who who they thought may have been, might, sorry may have been experiencing uh, family violence uh, increased, as well as um, calls from other service providers. So what we would call in the industry secondary consults, which is another yeah, service ringing yeah. another service for advice about how to support someone, they increased as well, and that all happened uh, within. You know, I'd say 10 days, um, we saw a peak of traffic to our social media sites, uh, phone calls and contacts increased, and also uh, website traffic, you know, to some of the resources that we developed around COVID and, and, and what services were available. So all of that traffic increased and, uh, you know, so the risks were minimal. The financial outlay was pretty low considering, um, you know, the impact okay. it had. Um, and uh, mm. I think, I actually think um, it was very, very effective and supported really strong messaging around it is, you know, if you are unsafe, you can leave and to call. There are services available. Yeah, no, it was great to see. You know, COVID has been, you know, a universal impact on everybody in the community. Nobody can escape this. So in terms of your staff group, how, how, how are people travelling? Yeah, look, I think it's had, um, I'd have to say, you know, the early, the early stages of the pandemic saw um, some pretty uh, diverse responses, I think, from, from staff, you know, but the great majority of staff really seemed to manage quite well. Uh, a lot of them were very concerned about the transition to working from home and how they would manage doing crisis work and other response work, you know, from their bedrooms and studies and lounge rooms and dining rooms. So all of that was very real. But I have to say, I've, I've just been super impressed with how adaptable people have been, but also, um, I think what's really come through, and it's not just our staff, but I see it in a whole range of other people that I know on a personal level as well, is just the, the human spirit and resilience is pretty incredible, you know, and despite the fact that we probably are all creatures of habit, the ability for us to react and, and respond very quickly to a set of circumstances and move into a new normal, whatever that is, as uncomfortable as it may be, is pretty incredible. 
And so, you know, when we had to make changes, uh, you know, to how we did our work and um, and continually tweaking things based on what we were learning and seeing, you know. Mm. So after mm. a week, we realised, well, this strategy is not going to work. We're going to have to, you know, rethink this, uh, rethink this through. And people were just so um, willing to not only go with the flow, but also... Um, you know, really keen to offer up their own, uh, you know, suggestions and to and to step outside of their comfort zones to get to get things done. And on the whole, I'd say I think they're travelling okay. But as with all employers, I think you know we're really looking at what are some of the uh, impacts, what are some of the um, emerging you know health and well-being issues that we need to be sort of responding to as an employer particularly around mm. um mm. staff support resilience um and and really just acknowledging that you know this is a, a very um trying time and unpredictable you know sort of situation that we're in so they're doing okay and i think i think for some they'll be glad when things do move back into a sense of normality and reclaiming i guess uh, some of the things that we yeah. that we loved about our pre-COVID life. And, and, you know, following up on that, the, um, you know, going towards some normality or, you know, we, we've got this phrase COVID normal now, but, but what, what do you think the next couple of years is going to hold for, for the Centre for Nonviolence? Um, look, obviously, um, you know, there's the challenge of, well, what, what does what does COVID normal mean in the context of our services and programs? And a lot of our work um, involves bringing you know, groups of people together to either, you know, in either in sort of therapeutic contexts or um, behaviour change uh, in the case of working with men, you know, bringing people together in meetings and, uh, you know, the way in which we've done business, I guess, for me, feels a, a little bit like we need to um, to really rethink that. And, uh, you know, if, if the risk of transmission remains with us for a number of years, um, and it probably will given um, the difficulties with vaccines and treatments and all sorts of other you know interventions I guess to try and manage a pandemic then what does it mean what does it mean for how we do our work and you know for, for a sector um, that does a lot of its work it, it really prides itself on its face-to-face um, -face and personal relationships I think the challenges going forward you know I, I don't think they're challenges I think they're opportunities and how do we um, how do we get work done without needing to be in the same space? And that I think for the sector mm -hmm. that is hard when you've got a lot of social workers in our industry whose preference it is uh, to sit um, in a big room and and talk about things, you know, for hours on end. You know, I think we're going to have to find other ways to do our work. And it will require, I think, a level of um, trust um, amongst uh providers where we have to perhaps talk less about some things, you know, because I can't sit in front of a computer screen all day having meetings uh, one after the other. It's just, um, it's soul destroying in a way. So, mm. you know, and maybe we just have to say, you know, Francis, I, I get that, you know, your organisation's, you know, really good at doing this and we, we trust you to get on and do the job and just tell us what we need to do rather than um, sitting and nutting it out. So I think it will be an interesting experiment for how organisations work together and uh, maybe doing some things differently. 
I think the challenges for employers will be, you know, for a long time, um, employers, particularly in our sector that, again, does a lot of things face-to-face, you know, we've held a position. I'm not saying personally myself or you, but the sector broadly has held a position that this work needs to be done face-to-face in the office. So um, the fact that You know, we've proven that some services can be delivered remotely, Mm. that people can be um, uh, delivering services uh, working from home or in other locations. You know, that's uh, that's an opportunity for us too because it also opens up a workforce that maybe, um, you know, maybe they don't want to move to rural Victoria, to regional Victoria to work, but, you know, we could potentially employ someone somewhere else. I mean, they could be in Sydney for all we, for all that matters, um, doing work for us. Mm, so, mm. I think the changed work environment and how we how we deliver services um, can be it, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to to think differently about our work. So, I'm 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 a little excited about that. I actually think it's a good thing to shake things up a little bit and. And for CNV, of course, you know, um, you know, managing, managing growth, managing um, service development and innovation, they're sort of like key priorities and, uh, and pieces of work that we're undergoing and doing and planning to do. So doing that mm. uh, in all of this context, I think, is, um, is going to take uh, a little bit of time and thinking through. Yeah. Mm. Look, so thank you. thanks, Margaret, for your time today. Uh, I can see that you are, really are at that point where the opportunities, the you know, what does the future hold? How can we, how can we take advantage of what we've experienced this year? So, look, I really uh, hope that those things really make sense and come together for you and for for CNV. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Francis. It's been great to talk to you. <laughs>